This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into it. Before I introduce the team, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you so much for your continued support of Longhorn Blitz. Plenty of ways to get the podcast. You can get it at horns247.com. Multiple ways to get it, but the best way is to anywhere you get your podcast, whatever podcast app you prefer, just search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247, no dashes slashes or spaces find the horns 24 7 podcast feed click that follow button get every episode of the blitz when it drops and please if you'd be so kind leave us a five-star review let us know how we're doing we greatly appreciate that so let's move on with it let me bring in the rest of the team he is the master of the soundboard the driving machine extraordinaire our lead research analyst on longhorn blitz and a daily fantasy guru he is matt butler how are you sir doing pretty well man how about you uh, probably regretting my decision to drink uh, Dr. Pepper Zero while on the air because I can feel an air bubble kind of rising in my throat. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I'm good. Them hiccups. Yeah. Uh, the third member of our team is always good. He wears many hats. You can find him on the On Texas Football YouTube channel, on the Horn weekdays from 6 to 11, multiple other things he is involved with. Got his fingers in a lot of pots. But for the purposes of this podcast – for more than a decade now, he has been our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL when he was done with football. He got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree whenever that T-ring comes back in. We will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, Good morning, your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod, how are you? I sir? appreciate the intro as always, brother. Feels good. Yeah, just kind of rolls off the tongue on days like this. So uh, <laughs> I'm ready to rock and roll. All right. So we're recording this on a Tuesday. So we got the news this morning. Finally, I don't know what takes Texas so dang long to announce these deals. Uh, but the hiring of Kenny Baker as the new defensive line coach was finally announced. Tuesday morning. I don't know what what takes so long on the clerical side. Like Johnny Nansen, I'm pretty sure was already out on the road recruiting when they finally, hey, Johnny Nansen's our new linebackers coach. And we, we we knew that clearly. It's been it's been pretty obvious, but you know, I don't know. Well, I don't know what the holdup is over there. But it's a state state school thing, I bet. Yeah, I bet probably. it's on the state schools. Yeah, 
I think you're I think you're probably right on that, Rod. Some some kind of red tape that they gotta go around. Yep. But at any rate, I digress. Um, you know, I, I don't want to get into the, the nuts nuts and bolts of, of Kenny Baker's background specifically, but I've said this before and, and I'll say it again because it's kind of what's top of mind for me right now. Rod, you've talked about this in the past. We we all have. It's it's really an underrated thing when a coach is able to identify and hire good coaches. And, you know, I've always said that whenever it doesn't work out for a coach at a blue blood program, not that this is the the total reason, but you usually look back on their initial staff and there were some mistakes made. I, I think we can agree, guys. Man, Sark, just take it from this standpoint. Sark hit a home run with his initial staff. The one hire he didn't, was Andre Coleman as wide receivers coach. He corrected that as soon as he could. So, Rod, I'll start with you. If you want to start with what's been the difference between Sark and Charlie Strong and Tom Herman, one of these things is not like the other, and it's that Sark was has been far more successful in terms of hiring his initial staff than the other two were. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, he's actually been, I mean, extraordinary, right? Even when you're talking about putting together support staff. I mean, his first group of support staff coaches, mm-hmm. Gary Addison's and your, you know, uh, you know, Joe D. Camillus most recently and Paul Chris was a part of that group at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, even that group, right? That's uh I, I think a pretty star studded uh group of uh, special assistants as they gave him the, the title. So yeah, I mean I think it's, it just shows you that coaches like Sark, that's number one that helps. You know, one of the concerns about Tom Herman was that Tom Herman uh, you know, rub people the wrong way, didn't really value relationships. And with that being said, uh, I don't, I think it was tough for him to actually get coaches, yeah. right? The best coaches from around the country. Now he was young, so he hadn't had as much, as much uh, time to start to network and, you know, gain a, a, a larger circle uh, of coaches that to reach out to. But also I think it was something in Tom Herman's personality. We saw that too, where, you know, Tom Herman wasn't very, uh, you know, authentic, uh, and he didn't value relationships like Sark does. And I think we've seen that pay off for Sark behind the scenes. So I think just like you talked about the differences between he and Herman, I think that's one of the big differences too. I think people want to, they want to coach here under Sark. So that helps him too. He is, he's really uh, cognizant of, the element of building a coaching staff with the young and the new and also, you know, the old and the veteran too. He wants to a healthy mix of, you know, wisdom, but also of young energy. And I think that's also important with a coaching staff. I I was a a, a coaching staff that's way too young without enough old heads on it is a bad idea. A coaching staff with too many old heads and not enough young, youthful energy is a bad idea. You really need to have that mix. And I, I mean, if you sat down and talked to him about it, he would reveal to you, yeah, it, it is something that he thinks about um, because this coaching staff does have a nice, healthy mix of the old and the new. Um, and, you know, it, it includes Kenny Baker to bring it in. So it's like he's done a good job with that. That's why you'll give him the benefit of the doubt with the Kenny mm-hmm. Baker hire, right? Even if you are underwhelmed by it and you haven't, you know, had a chance to do a lot of research about it and he's not one of the big blockbuster names people were throwing out for D-line coach, certainly following Bo Davis, who started called the best D-line coach in the country. Uh, you know, you should trust him. 
right now. You just kind of give him the benefit of the doubt that if he is going to roll the dice on this, you know, the only hire that he really kind of swung and missed on was, you know, technically was a retention. Uh, and that was Andre Coleman. And mm-hmm. at the time I, I told, I said publicly that he they probably should move on from Andre Coleman and hire Brendan Marion. He did a year later. So yeah. I got no problem with Sark in the way that he builds his coaches. I think he's done an, actually, like you said, an elite level job actually yeah. in the way he's done that. Yeah, and the way you mentioned the old heads and the new heads are mixing them together. And whenever I started looking into Kenny Baker, then when I realized where he was last year, I was like, that's exactly what that defense was for Miami. Like Mike McDonald wanted to come in and change up the defense this past year, and he went and hired Fangs, old Vic Fangio, to run his defense. And then who'd Fangio bring in was this guy Baker, which Baker had been successful at – Western Kentucky before and Western Kentucky sort of as a football school had a meteoric rise within the last say five years compared to before like they were more known as a basketball school for any time I ever heard about uh, the, the program and then the last few years they've been successful on offense and defensive but for then to be able to jump up from Western Kentucky for Fangs to want you to coach his D-line at Miami last year sort of shows that he liked what he saw. So, you know, you, you, the company you keep in the coaching world is really a good way to gauge who you are and who respects you, and that's some really good respect. You know, I said we weren't going to get into the nuts and bolts of the Kenny Baker hire, but let's go ahead and talk about it. Because, um, uh, cause Matt, you saying that just brought, you know, I think aside from Vic Fangio and Kenny Baker's role as the assistant D line coach with the Dolphins, you know, uh, Rod, I'll be honest, I didn't know a lot. And I, look, I'm not ashamed to admit when I'm wrong or, or I don't know something. Uh, I didn't know anything at all about Kenny Baker when his name popped up. But <laughs> looking into him and looking into his back, and, and by the way, I'll credit my guy, Eric Henry and Horse 24 7. Eric caught up with uh, Tyson Helton, the Western Kentucky head coach. Uh, who, you know, Kenny Baker worked for him for three years. And Tyson yeah. Helton gave some really good insight on what Kenny Baker's like as a coach day-to-day. So I, I'd encourage anybody to go to Horns 24-7 and read that. Uh, you can find it on on uh, my Twitter feed, at JeffHow247, and then uh, Eric Henry's Twitter feed. I think Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. I think that's Eric's Twitter handle. But at, at any rate, uh, when – and this kind of connected the Sark piece because I started initially like, well, I know Sark, you know, I know he knows Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, so maybe he got connected to Mike McDaniel through those guys, and uh, you know, maybe that's the connection. But the connection actually made more sense. You know, when you look at Kenny Baker, how he came up as a D line coach, he he went and studied under Pete Jenkins. Pete Jenkins, a longtime defensive line coach, worked for Nick Saban, and I didn't know this, Rod, but apparently, like Pete Jenkins, if you look at like you pull up his Wikipedia page, you see like a long time where between stops where there's just like 10 years where he's not doing anything. Apparently what he did was he kind of just started like almost like a boot camp for defensive line coaches, like just training defensive line coaches. And yeah. And that's how Kenny Baker got started. So when Tyson Helton was looking for a a defense is actually at the time it was a defensive ends coach. He called Pete Jenkins and was like, Hey, you know, who can I hire? And Pete Jenkins told Tyson Helton, he said, Hey, straight up like Kenny Baker is the next, He's the next superstar to come off my coaching tree. Like, I think this guy's a stud. I think he's great. Uh, a lot of upside. I think you should hire him. Tyson Helton hired him. The connection there, Pete Jenkins is tight with Nick Saban. 
that 2019 season when Sark was at Bama, Pete Jenkins was, you know, he was a visitor at Alabama practices. But I wonder if at that point, that's where they got connected. And look, was Kenny Baker the, the first choice for Sark? Probably not. I know Sark talked to a lot of different people. We know Rod Wright was, was one of those people. But yeah. I would imagine at some point Sark went to Pete Jenkins, and I, I would bet it was through Pete Jenkins that, that Kenny Baker's name came up. So once bottom line for me is once I heard that, you know, Kenny Baker's attached to Pete Jenkins and that, you know, with the Tyson Helton hire Western Kentucky that, you know, Pete Jenkins vouched for him at that point, I'm like, all right, not only do I give Sark the benefit of the doubt because he's made good hires, let's, let's see if this one works. I'm, I, I think this, I think this has got a chance. That's a, that's a nice nugget there. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that at all. So that, that does make sense. Connecting the dots. Right, you yep. uh, you all try to figure out why, how coaches are connected, mm -hmm. and, and this it did not seem like there were a lot of threads that connected Kenny Baker to Sark, but that makes a lot of sense. And I'm with you. At first, I was thinking more to the Shanahan tree, mm -hmm. but that makes a whole lot more sense. That's good stuff. Well, and it also fits in with the Shanahan tree because when you look at that, you know, Miami staff that McDaniel put together, like another one, because you look at what, you know, Bobby Slowick and uh, D'Amico did in Houston. Well, the linebacker coach is Slowick's brother, Ryan Slowick. So it's like, you know, a lot of roots back to just the old Shanahan tree that's now spawned out to having all these different coordinators and coaches across the league. Yeah. No, yeah. No, that's good stuff there. No, I, I think Kenny Baker, I, I know a lot of people are concerned, you know, can he recruit and all that kind of stuff because he hasn't really recruited at a high level. Um, and this is a guy that really had, I think, like five years experience coaching at the FBS and the NFL level total, just one year in the league. If he didn't have the one year of NFL experience on his resume, it may be hard for Sark to justify it. That's right. how much credibility and respectability you get for making your way to the NFL. And I'll say this, to make your way to the NFL, there's only a few ways to get there, man, as a coach. Trust me, I've studied it. Now, I know a lot of guys who have made that made that trip and made, you know, and obviously been able to ascend to the NFL level as a coach. First of all, it helps if you're if it's the family business, right? Just straight up nepotism. If it's a family business, it helps. That's, that's like a third of NFL coaches right there. Um, but, it, uh, you know, if you also can develop talent, right? They're all about – can this guy, can you develop talent? Right, we want to see a guy that can just make guys better, maximize skill sets. It's a, you know, NFL is a, is a straight up business and they're about maximizing skill sets for profit. Can you do that as a coach? Uh, and, oh, and that's another way, or you have a breakthrough groundbreaking um, kind of concept or scheme that you run or technique that you teach, that kind of thing. Something the NFL just hasn't come up with like Brennan Marion, had his go-go offense, right? People mm -hmm. have been stealing from it even at the NFL level. He's a guy that could go to the NFL if he wanted to in some uh, capacity just because he's got that on his resume. So NFL covets that. Um, or, or, and or you just – you network like a mofo. You When you meet a coach, you know, you, you network, you maximize relationships – uh, to the utmost, and you make you make sure that every relationship you get, even all the way up to the NFL level, is one that you 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 take pride in cultivating. So to me, Kenny Baker's either he's that, and or the development guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't see a family connection with him in the NFL, so it ain't family business necessarily. He doesn't have some revolutionary, groundbreaking technique, concept, or scheme that has set him out, set him apart, and made him you know an outlier in that regard. No, he's he's great at uh, cultivating relationships. That's pretty obvious. Look how fast 
he's risen in the coaching race, guys. I mean, we're talking about a guy who I think his first student assist student uh, assistant coaching job at uh, Gardner Webb was what, in two thousand nine. And it made it to the NFL uh, by 2023. Yeah. That's trust me, guys. That's that's a fast riser. That is a fast riser. And to be a fast riser, I can tell you this right now, as a guy who studied, you know, how to get in the coaching ranks, it's all about cultivating relationships and maximizing relationships. It helps if you got a groundbreaking scheme or a groundbreaking technique, uh, and you just and you're that guy. But if you don't necessarily have that, which Kenny Baker doesn't necessarily have that, um, cultivating relationship, maximizing relationships. And that's what recruiting is, in a nutshell, guys. That's all recruiting is. So if you're concerned about his ability to recruit, I think he's a guy that's a fast riser because he values relationships, cultivates them, maximizes them. That's recruiting, in a nutshell. And I know Sark is more, uh, at this point, I I think he's more targeting uh, certain areas around the country uh, in terms of recruiting. And he's from the Atlanta area around there. He played high school football around there. And yeah, he coached around there too at a lakeside high school. And I've told you guys, the only metro area that produces more NFL talent, draftable talent right now, the DFW is Atlanta. That's mm-hmm. it. Atlanta is the it is the mecca right now for producing NFL talent in this country in terms of metro areas. And I think Sark Sark doesn't want to ignore that area. He wants to be able to make sure that in that. And by the way, that's the heart of the SEC. Uh, he wants to make sure they yeah. see country that he's got a guy with some deep, deep roots. And I think Kenny Baker's got some of those. Yep. And if you look at Kenny Baker's time prior to the Dolphins when he was at Western Kentucky, like they never really put any players into the NFL prior to some of the recent years. And if you look in recent years, I mean, you just had in 2023, Broderick Malone get drafted by, by the Lions, that was a defensive tackle, which was there whenever he had to recruit him there. He was there from 2020 to 2022. And also D'Angelo Malone, who was a guy that was like their conference player of the year. He was also a third round pick in 2022 as a defensive end and now playing more of a linebacker for the Falcons. But like that's two NFL, what used to be called first day picks, now second day picks that are coming from Western Kentucky on the D line, which you don't see that you probably, I would venture to guess that's nearing what their school had ever produced at the NFL level. And that's just in back-to-back seasons in 22 and 23. You know, Rod, uh, you brought it up and and I think it's worth repeating. I I feel, I don't want to say like I've figured something out or I have this great revelation that other writers or, you know, people in our industry haven't, but, like the recruiting piece to me, it's kind of overrated because dude, if you can't recruit guys to Texas, then there's, you're not going to be long for that job, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Like a lot of ways yeah. Texas sells itself and you're going to get your foot in the door with a caliber of prospect that you just don't get your foot in the door with at some other places, just because of the logo and the name on your shirt. That's just, that's just the, the fact, the reality of the situation. But I mean, granted has Texas had some great recruiters over the years without question, like, you know, a Tim Brewster, you know, Jeff Banks. Now you just go down the list of guys that you knew, man. If you put that coach on that guy, he's probably going to get him. That said, though, I mean, look how many guys came to Texas without having tremendous recruiting backgrounds that ended up by the time they left Texas and moved on that they had gotten their share of recruits. I mean, on, on both sets, Charlie staff and uh, and on Tom Herman staff. I mean, whether mm-hmm. it's Brian Jean-Marie, Craig Niver, 
Drew Maringer. I mean, just go down the list of guys that didn't really have a recruiting background that got to Texas and all of a sudden, oh, wow, he can land a five-star guy. He can land a national top 50 guy. Well, yeah, I mean, you're getting your foot on the door with a high-caliber prospect, and if you're if you if kids see that you're real, that you care about them, and you can develop, you can establish and develop relationships, that's all, like you said, Rod, that's all recruiting is. So, you know, it'll be in due time when we realize, you know, what Kenny Baker brings to the table as far as a recruiter. Some guys are just better at the, at the relationship piece than some other yep. guys. Maybe Kenny Baker is uh, not, is not good. I don't know. Maybe he's not good at the relationships, but is good at the evaluation part. Everybody's got their strengths and weaknesses, but I don't, I don't feel like going out and hiring a rainmaker recruiter for every job you have open. I, I've changed my tune on that a lot over the years. I just think it's it, college football has changed so much that it just you know, I, I I think the development piece is just as important, if not more now. Yes. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Like you said, Texas makes you is going to make you a better recruiter. It'll make yeah. you a more dynamic recruiter just being at Texas and having that brand when you walk into a, you know, a, a high school or walk into a household, having that brand Texas, it does mean something. As long as you know how to, like I said, how to use it, how to maximize yeah. it, which I think Kitty Baker does. I mean, Sark would have considered that. I think he'll be just fine recruiting, even if he doesn't have the Texas ties that, that mm -hmm. people always talk about. Trust me, I've seen some coaches yeah, that, over the years that, that abuse that thing. Rod, to your point, now that's real. Like, that they didn't. You know, they they got to Texas and just kind of expected stuff to just start happening. Like, no, you you still it'll get you pretty far, but you still got to finish the race yourself. Like, it ain't it's not just like recruits just start falling in your lap just because you coach at Texas. And there have been guys on on staffs in the past that I'm very well aware of that kind of thought that would happen, and that definitely wasn't the case. Yeah, and that's where, you know, having a staff that has some recruiters and has those connections as a staff, you got to have that because but you already have that type of continuity with the way that this staff has been able to build those relationships. So now when you're filling a gap in the coaching staff and needing to find a guy that you've seen really good development over the last couple of years, that's an area of need is making sure that doesn't fall off, that you don't fall off from developing these players. And then you're going to get the foot in the door, not only, like we said, because you're Texas, but then Sark and his success. And then, as you mentioned, great recruiters like Banks, because like people also got to know that like you have like your area recruiters. It's not as if like your position coaches flying all over the all these different places and doing everything like you're out, you're given the area and you have to find your area and your relationships, but all different coaches go and talk to the kids. It isn't just your position coaches solely going after D linemen and D tackles and D ends. So it's a staff type situation. So having that development thing not fall off, especially when you're headed into the SEC, that should be priority one. Yeah. I, I like your point, Rod, though, about having the the mix of, you know, guys that are just at different stages in their their lifelong journeys as coaches. Yep. If you look at that way that mm -hmm. defensive staff is made up, I, I really like it because, you know, you got Terry Joseph's been doing this for a long time, been in multiple power five schools. You know, PK's been doing this for a long time. He's taken two different defenses to the CFP now. Johnny Nansen's been at this for a while, you know, going back to his time with Sark and, and uh, you know, those guys have different recruiting connections and different they've recruiting connections in different places. They've got different backgrounds. I dig that. And then you've got, you know, 
Kenny Baker, who hasn't been a coach that long, and and quite frankly, neither has Blake Gideon. And, yep. and they all bring something different to the table. Like Terry Joseph's got roots in, in Louisiana and in Metro New Orleans that not a lot of other people have. Uh, you know, Johnny Nansen is is the West Coast, and especially, uh, you know, kids from Hawaii. Johnny Nansen can go get you those type guys. PK is more of, you know, Southern California, and then he'll hit the Pacific Northwest because he was there so much. Uh, and then Kenny Baker, like you said, ride with Metro Atlanta. Blake Gideon can pretty much, because his dad was a Texas high school football coach, Blake Gideon can pretty much go into any high school in this state and yep. you throw on his background as a player at Texas and they'll open the doors. Everybody's welcoming Blake Gideon in with open arms. So I, I just think the, the the backgrounds, the diversity, the the different ages and stages, man, I, I kind of dig the way this defensive staff is constructed now. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I, um, I think Sark is, I don't know, the way you kind of broke it down is kind of what I was thinking too. He seems like he's bringing in guys specifically in terms of recruiting that have ties where they need them. Yeah. Right? And and mm-hmm. we know, like you just brought up the, you know, the, 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 the Polynesian community, the, you know, obviously the, the, you look at Pacific Islanders or whether you, you know, you're talking about Samoans, the Samoan community, mm-hmm. whatever you're talking about, that is a community um, that are very tight knit and, they don't necessarily want outsiders coming in and try to take advantage of them. Right. Um, they want some, if you're going to recruit, uh, you know, someone from that community, it helps to have someone who's actually a part of that community, right. Who, who knows exactly the culture and knows exactly, you know, what's considered respectful and how to approach everything. And you just talking about Jane Anson and he does, he knows exactly how to do it. And he can introduce a coach. He's not got, he doesn't have to be the leading recruiter, but he can go make the introduction. Uh, yeah. and, and and then make the, you know, the introduction to make sure everybody's comfortable. And then from there, he can give the main recruiter all, he can basically give them the cliff notes on, hey, man, this is how, you know, you should conduct yourself. This is the way I would approach it. This is the way the family dynamic in this community, this is the way it's structured, all those little things that will give you an edge in recruiting. And that's what you're talking about, right? Blake Gideon mm-hmm. can break, break that down for anybody about Texas high school football coaches. And what they consider to be, you know, appropriate and what they consider to be you know, disrespectful uh, in terms of how to recruit a player or how to uh, approach a family about recruiting a player, all those little things. And that's what matters in recruiting. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know that, Jeff, I ain't got to tell you. I mean, you know better than anybody, but it's just those little things about, hey, man, this guy's one of us. Right. He uh, man, he this, you know, we we accept him and they see the way he speaks or the way that um, he treats us or the way that he speaks to us. You know, that is something I think everybody can relate to. Um, and in recruiting, that's basically all it is. Right? You, you you like certain people in your life and you don't like certain people in your life. They yeah. may know that or they may not know it, but it's all based on how they treat you, how they approach you, how they speak to you. That's recruiting. And guys, yeah. you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Right. That's no. and, and that's what that's what big part of our recruiting is is that first impression on the family, first impression on the coach, first impression on the kid. Now you recruit to the whistle, but a big part of recruiting is, man, how how do I initially? How do you initially connect to that person? And that's why you want to have guys with all those different ties around the country because every part of our country, we know this from politics, they have a different, there are at least different subcultures everywhere in our country. And you can easily walk into a different part of this country where something is acceptable and something is considered, uh, you know, uh, something respectful. And then another part of the country is disrespectful and it's not acceptable. 
Like it's just a, yeah. you know, it's a community where it is and isn't. And in recruiting, you got to make sure that you're aware of that at all times. That, I, I think recruiting is fast. I thought about because I thought about becoming a coach. So I studied all this, and it's fascinating. And some coaches they get it and they have a natural kind of outgoing, dynamic, charismatic personality. And some coaches don't. And you'd be surprised. Like some coaches need to be a hey, need to be kind of walk through some of those differences. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you've told so many stories just from your time, like not only say how Mac Brown was able to win over your mom by sitting on the couch and drinking her sweet tea and being able to understand family dynamics, but even like the way you talk about the coaching staff and how they are able to relate with everybody. It reminded me of you telling us the stories of like, well, you know, Mac came to you one day and was like, man, we need to get DJ. And you you were the, the player that was hosting DJ, because he knows every player also maybe yep. relates to players differently. And that's the same thing that every coach probably relates to players or fits a family or fits a certain demographic or it would align more with the person's thought processes. So, yep. you know, there's so many different levels, but having that staff that's able to do that the same way that Mac was allocating players and their personalities to be able to align with the right players so you can show them a good time or if, you know, say, you're more of a hangout with Stevie Lee type guy. So there's always that diversity on not only the playing players amongst them, but amongst the coaches and how they relate. Quick tangent away from Kenny Baker, but I I don't know how I missed this in Johnny Nansen's background. I didn't know that Johnny Nansen was actually born in Samoa and lived in American (laughs) Samoa in early childhood. Didn't move to the mainland United States until he was 14. One of us. So you're gonna be recruiting a lot of, of DFW. <laughs> yeah, a lot of DFW kids. Yeah, and Savelle, I believe so. he's been recruiting Savelle since high school. Yeah, Savelle mm-hmm. likes him so much he followed him, you know, I mean, all the way to Texas, so multiple <laughs> yeah. spots. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that that that's that, that, that's one of those communities, and like I said, there are pockets of the, uh, like that around this country. Actually, little subcultures like that around this country yeah. where. Yeah. Outsiders, if you act like an outsider and you speak like an outsider and you communicate like one, then you know you it, it, it's tough. It's it's tough to be able to connect and penetrate in some of those communities. But you know, if if, if you know just the, the little subtle ways that you need to approach, uh, you know, different communities around the country, different subcultures. You know, we're all Americans and we're all people. So there are certain things that we connect us all. But if you really want to have that genuine, authentic connection, it helps not only to, to research the person themselves, but to also know like the, the culture of the, the family, the culture of that community. Because everyone, every all those communities are so different. You think recruiting in Louisiana is like recruiting in California? Hell no. <laughs> I can tell you right now, my family swamp people, it ain't even close. All right? You think recruiting in Georgia is the same way recruiting in Texas? It ain't. It ain't even close. Yeah. And, and by the way, um, with Kenny Baker and Tashar Choice on staff, uh, you got two guys that know Metro Atlanta and the state of Georgia pretty well now. Yep. At this point, and the Southeast <laughs> in general. Because yep. I imagine yep. you know, Kenny Baker coaching in Western Kentucky. Um, you're you're going everywhere far and wide to try to find kids. So I'm sure there are schools that honestly, probably if you're the head coach at Texas, you haven't thought twice about going that they've seen Kenny Baker in their hallways at some point. Cause when you're the heck, when you're a, an assistant in Western Kentucky, you got to go to, to outposts far and wide. 
Yeah, you do. No, that's true. That's a good point. That's a that's a good point. So, like I said, I know we went a long way on the time about recruiting, but yeah, I, basically that means I wouldn't worry about it. It's it comes down. It, there's a lot of different variables in recruiting other than has this guy ever been in this area of the country for an extended period of time. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. like you said, like it doesn't even have to go from city to city. Like just think of inside DFW, the way that like I didn't even know about the heavy, like say you know Polynesian or Samoan community in the Dallas area until I met Craig Way, and he explained to me, you know, how deeply rooted it is in some parts of town. But then you have like say. Highland Park and South Lake Carroll right there. And you also have DeSoto and South Oak Cliff. Like it's so vast and so different that you got to be able to have a different variety of people that are able to relate to them. Yeah. Uh, the fascinating thing for me though, uh, when you talk about just the staff makeup in general and, and, you know, Rod, as I laid that out on the, on the defensive side, I start thinking about the offensive side, like, well, you had to shard choice in Atlanta and the Southeast and you got Kyle flood and the, in the Northeast, kind of New Jersey and, and Pennsylvania, and then, you know, just kind of going down everybody's experience level. It's, it's you know, Jeff Banks, obviously, in the state of Texas. It's, it's fascinating when you really break it down and look at it. But, you know, to me now, the 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 good thing, kind of the gift and the curse of putting together a really good initial staff, and it's been a while since Texas has been in this position. Uh, we saw, you know, guys on Max initial staff eventually got like this, whether it was you know, Everett Withers or uh, Daryl Drake, uh, Tim Brewster, they had some guys that, you know, yeah, you're at Texas and then all of a sudden you get to call or, for an NFL job or whatever, or, or a college head coaching job, you know, oh, yeah. all those guys got to different places. So it's been a while since we've seen an initial staff at Texas where you had the, this many, you know, you, you've had two guys leave for head coaching opportunities already, Stan Drayton and Jeff Choate. I'm fascinated to see now, now that you've got guys leaving to advance their careers, we've known Sark hired really good coaches initially, can he keep doing it? And Rod, I gotta believe that's one of those things that, as a coach, if you're doing that the right way, man, you have to be willing to evolve and adapt. And that's gotta keep you young in the game because, man, you've got to know. Yeah, you've got Tashar Choice on your staff. I think we all know Tashar Choice isn't gonna be at Texas forever. You've gotta no. be able to find know who the next Tashar Choice is. You gotta be able to go find out. Hey, who's who's a guy right now that's where Jeff Banks was seven eight years ago. Right. And can I go hire him to be my special teams coordinator and, and to help recruit Dallas or whatever? Like it's, I, I, I got a feeling like it's, it's, it's a, I don't want to, I don't want to poo poo that skill set, man. Cause as a coach, that was one of Mac's best qualities, man. Mac lost good coaches, but he replaced them with good coaches. Rod, you benefited from that. Everett Withers was your secondary coach the first two years. He leaves. Oh, man. Who are we going to hire? He ended up hiring Dwayne Aquino, who might be the best defensive backs coach this place has ever seen. So, you know, good coaches. If, if you hire good coaches, the challenge to continue to hire good coaches, it fascinates me. I love that, looking at that aspect. Yeah, and as a coach, you know, you got to have, for every position, you got to have a list of coaches. You want young, hungry, up-and-coming, fast-rising coaches. You want a list like that. And you mm -hmm. want a list of old, veteran, proven, you know, uh, goats among coaches that are kind of your wish list like man what if this guy became available what if you know what i might just call him make him tell me no yeah <laughs> you know coach Aquino was kind of yeah. like that that was mac brown's coach Aquino's like yeah i'm gonna hit this guy up and coach king was like hell yeah let's go baby let's go so you know you can get though because some you know their coaching carousels happen 
and you may have a coach that comes available because of how frequently the coaching carousel uh, turns now in coaching. And with that case, you always got to keep that list current too of the old veteran proven commodities where you go, Oh, I never thought I'd have a chance at this coach, you know, but I might have to Bo Davis kind of one of them guys, right? Yeah. You say, Hey man, I'll make Bo Davis tell you no. So I think you got a list of both of them and it depends on where your staff is and kind of where your position room is, where you want to go. And I think that's where you, you know, depending on where you want to go, that's you call the young coach up and up and coming fast riser, or you call the proven veteran already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's no different than uh, I've heard athletic directors have this list. And we know, like, especially at a place like Texas, like the AD only does so much when you're searching for a head football coach. But, you know, you got your list of coaches like, okay, if something happened to where I had to fire my head coach tomorrow or he left for an NFL job tomorrow, like yep. I got to have I got to have a list of guys. And and like you said, Rod, you got a couple of different lists. You got the I'm going to make these guys tell me no list. I've yep. got kind of young up and coming guys and I've got guys that they might not be on that first tier, but they'd be, I think they'd be damn good coaches. So you got, you got to be prepared at all times. And I, I really, I really like how Sark uh, has gone about it. I mean, that's something, look, he Sark learned how to do it. He got a crash course in it really over three years from maybe the best that's ever done it. Cause I can't think of, I'm sure there's been other college football coaches in my lifetime that have done it, but I can't think of one that hired so many good coaches and continually replaced them with good coaches the way Nick Saban did. Yeah, yep. you're right. The Nick Saban coaching car wash, right? It's, <laughs> once it became where other coaches could reinvent themselves and uh, could have a chance at redemption via Nick Saban, then it was – at that point, it was too easy for Nick Saban. Everybody, I'm sure that people were beating down his door. He never yeah. goes out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, the the staff makeup is I I really like this staff, and I I really like the way Sark has this thing rolling. I mean, I, I think too, Rod. You mentioned the kind of the the support staff guys. I don't think it's it's a coincidence that you know Jeff Choate takes a Nevada job. He takes three of those guys with him. I mean, he took three mm-hmm. analysts. He took Jacqueline Smith. He took uh, Joey Thomas and Payam Sadat. They're all on Jeff Choate's staff at Nevada now. So it's that's kind of again that the the same deal Sark kind of did to Nick Saban. Yeah, now it's kind of happening to you. Where uh, yeah, I'm gonna get a head coach job. And by the way, coach, I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take these three guys. They're 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 coming with me too because I'm gonna hire them to full time staff jobs over here. Like it's but it's I'm saying this Texas fans because it's a good problem to have. And it's been yep. a really yep. long time since Texas has been in this position. Usually when we're talking about coaches co- and coaching changes, we're talking about failed coaches that had to be fired. And now you're talking about getting a replacement. This is a really good problem to have. Yep. I agree with you. It's because uh, teams, yeah. obviously programs around the country are looking at your, your program and wanting to replicate uh, some of the success and what they're seeing. And they're looking at it and saying, uh, you know, they want to replicate that by, taking some of your coaches or they, you have coaches on your staff that they've always coveted. They're on their list. Right? Yeah. They got, your, your coaches on your staff, you are, you want coaches on your staff that are on everybody else's list of guys who are um, potential candidates. If they ever have a vacancy or if they ever get a head coaching job. And I will say, I think Sark has assembled a, that kind of staff. I think he's assembled a staff of a lot of guys who are, who would be, you know, coveted commodities uh, yeah. in the coaching ranks. 
And, that, yep. and then blood that goes to PK is in there. PK, you talked about Jeff Choke, Brandon Marion was in that category too. Um, I think that's that's a smart way to go about it. Yep, and then couple that with not only do you have that from the coach's side, but you have players leaving early to the NFL draft and you're having players that you're losing to the NFL draft that are going to be offensive players drafted in the first round, like things that Texas didn't have for a decade or had very few and far in between. And now you're having to fill those gaps. Like I remember the last time Texas had multiple players leave school early to become like top level NFL players, like off the top of my head, I was thinking Jamal and Jermichael did, you know, in 07, 08, but like that's the peak time of Texas football. Like that's exactly what you want at that time. You had a coach that was so highly sought after in 08 that we were like, up, oh, give them head coach and waiting we're just going to make it up because we don't want this guy to leave or go anywhere so this is a good type of scenario where not only players and coaches both of them are ones that are highly sought after to go to the next level or further their career rod you 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 mentioned this several podcasts ago rod this hell this might have been months ago at this point but we were having a discussion about the culture and I think it says a lot when a guy like Jade Barron and a guy like Alfred Collins and when those kind of guys, Jake Majors, they could easily move on to whatever's next, but they're coming back for another year. It's not like guys or coaches, players, support staff, secretaries, whoever. It's not like people are in a hurry to, to leave Moncrief. Like Texas is a place, and Rod, it was like this when, when you played there. And again, hadn't been that way in a long time. People aren't in a hurry to leave. They don't mind, they don't mind hanging around for another year or two if they can. No, I agree with that. I, I think you're right about that. I, I, also, that is a that's something happening on a broad NIL. That's a macro thing, right? It's uh that started it started probably like I don't know it started a while ago when the NFL changed their evaluation process when you would submit your name and it give you your grade back. Remember they changed yep. it from a very it used to be very specific. Yeah, to give you a first round grade, second round grade, a go back to school. That saw a decrease in the uh, the lower the, obviously the the different juniors and lower classmen that were that were deciding to leave. That you saw a little bit of the change there. Then, of course, you get the transfer portal. Uh, players like being able to to transfer to different schools, so transfer portal that helps. COVID extra years of eligibility because of COVID that helps yeah. guys. So guys are staying longer. Uh, and of course, mm -hmm. as mentioned, NIL is another big reason why. Teams are, I mean, players are starting to stay longer because they can finally make some money yeah. um, when they decide whether they want to increase their draft stock uh, by staying. So uh, that's why you're getting more underclassmen that are deciding, nah, man, I'm just going to stay in school. Uh, and that's actually, I believe you have 54 un uh, underclassmen that declared for the draft. And hell, guys, in 2018, if I'm not mistaken, in 2018, that number was around 106. Um, upperclassmen declaring for the draft. So in in like five six years, you you know almost cut that number in half. Yeah. And that's because of all those different you know uh, measures and different things that have happened. And now the by the way, the NCAA doesn't even penalize you for multiple time transfers. So yeah, right. and on top of guys being able to transfer to other schools to get and why do you transfer? 
to get NIL money, right? You get you transfer to a school to get your market value as a player. You prove yourself one place, and then you hit the transfer portal to get your market value in the NIL space. So it's all those things, and now guys can transfer without penalty multiple times. Mm-hmm. Guys, it's just it's it's more fun now to be a college football player than it's ever. Yes, been. yeah. There's a guy, trust me, who played the game. You never had this much fun. You've never made this much money. So that's why guys are deciding it's it's better for me. And by the way, if you're a fourth round pick like like I was. Why the hell would you want to rush to the league? There's no need to rush yeah. when I can make a quarter of a million dollars just hanging out here in Texas. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it, it's the player empowerment, and it's so good. It was almost as if the way the system was structured, say, 20 years ago, was still to steer players away from college football. And, like, nowadays, like, not only do you have, like, the grades, as you mentioned, Rod, which can really – you can at least get an appraisal, which, you know, back in the day, like, it, you could almost worry about your eligibility if you were wondering about the NFL and talking to people about things. Like, it took until, like, about 15 years ago that you never even heard of such things as these grad transfer type rules where then you once you started to have like say your Garrett Gilbert and you had your Russell Wilson's and you had other ways that players could find ways to continue themselves to not just totally have their stock be tanked at a place and then with all the changes to the transfer rules that help the players it's only now just a fairer system to actually do what college is supposed to do which is set you up so you can have a successful career. Rod, do you remember off the top of your head the number? How many uh, super seniors did, did Washington have on their team this year? Do you remember what that number was? One of like nine or something like that? Yeah, I think, I think the number was nine. I think yeah. you're right about that. Um, I, I think we're just uh, – take this ride with me. I think we're getting to this point of football. I was talking to David Pierce. This is about two weeks ago. And, you know, I was just, just – me and him, we're, I was in his office. I was getting some, you know, some stuff for – the base bright so baseball preview stuff which by the way you can get over to horns 24 7 and check out some of that baseball preview stuff nice but uh anyway uh we're talking about just freshmen and i asked him i said you know i said what what's the learning curve for a freshman in college baseball and he said well honestly it's changed he said it's always been hard he said the, the difference now is he said one of the things the portal's done is it's made college baseball an older game like because of NIL yep. and because of the ability to just keep playing. And plus it's like you said, Rod, there are macro uh, issues you have to take it. Like the way, uh, you know, the, the major league draft has been restructured, the way minor league baseball has been restructured a little bit since COVID uh, guys are willing to hang around long. So it's even, it's even harder for freshmen to break through because it's an older game. You've got a lot of fourth, fifth year guys that you wouldn't have had 10, 15 years ago. Uh, we we see the same thing in college basketball. Like one of the one of the reasons why Texas, why that Elite Eight team was was so good and survived that the storm they survived last December and January was because you had guys that you know had played you know triple digit games by the time they were done in college. By the time they were done, I mean we're talking about Timmy Allen or Marcus Carr, Christian Bishop. I mean you got guys with a lot of experience. Uh, so we've seen it in baseball. We've seen it in, ba- in uh, men's and women's basketball. I think now you're just starting to see the football. Granted, we're running, we're running down to the end of the guy of guys that have that COVID year of eligibility left. But to your point, Rod, it's it's set up now to where, yeah, I mean, would I rather be, uh, you know, a fifth round pick or make you know six figures and hang out at school one more year and maybe get another degree or whatever the case is? I don't know, but. Yep. It, it college football it, it it's just becoming an older game now 
Totally agree. And I think the NFL kind of likes it. I think they like it from the quarterback perspective. Yes. I think they like that some of these, you know, they used to have these one and done kind of QBs that basically had one year wonders and you didn't know they'd have them from a sample size. Think about this from a yep. scouting perspective. We talk about bus rate all the time, right? On this show. I think you'll see the NFL have lower bus rates. Now, one of the complaints from the NFL side, uh, Jim Nagy, the senior bowl, uh, he's like the senior bowl exec Mm -hmm. who was over the senior bowl. He recently said that he's getting fewer uh, underclassmen to work with at at the senior bowl. So he's got basically fewer prospects uh, to work with and great overall. Uh, And that makes sense, right? Because you've got fewer upperclassmen coming out, but the, the guys that are coming out actually have been in school longer than mm-hmm. they have in recent mm-hmm. years because of all the things you just mentioned. So my take is the NFL scouting community will get a bigger sample size of these players. Yeah. And a bigger sample size means you should have a better, more thorough scouting evaluation of every player. So maybe the bus rates will go down now the lower half of the NFL draft because you have fewer upperclassmen coming out because usually that's some of your best players coming out, the upperclassmen, they, when those guys were obviously coming out, they would get drafted. If they don't get in the first or second round, they get drafted in the third or fourth round. And guys who may, if they matured a little bit longer, stayed in school longer, they could increase their draft stock. So NFL coaches and scouts were looking at that. Hey, I want this guy because he's only 20, you know, 21 years old or he's 20 and, you know, 20 years old in seven months or whatever it is. Right. But let's project this guy, which is still a gamble, project this guy that he could have been a second rounder yeah. if he stayed in school one more year and, 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 and obviously developed. So what NFL teams are going to do is they're going to value the later picks in the round less, right? Because you're not going to have the, the, the pool of talent is not as deep. Right. So the pool of talent is not as deep. So that's where I would usually get my fourth, fifth, sixth round guys that can still have a chance at making my roster, but you're not going to have that. So I, my prediction is the bus rates will drop in the NFL because scouts have a more, sa- uh, more sample size to do more thorough evaluations, more accurate evaluations. Um, but also NFL teams will react to fewer upperclassmen coming out, which means the depth of talent it has uh, you know dissipated in the draft. If that's going to be the case, then you're not going to value your fourth, fifth, sixth round picks as much. You're going to be valuing your first, second, and third round picks more. Yeah. So you may see teams decide instead of trading out of those rounds, they want to trade back up into those rounds and they want to trade away their late round picks to get up into the first, second, and third round this season and maybe for the future if fewer upperclassmen are going to be coming out. I know it, dude, it, it could be yep. a domino yep. effect on so many levels. Mm-hmm. It is a domino effect, and it's happening across sports because, like, I've heard uh, Eric Spolstra talk about it in the NBA. Multiple players that have been these four-year guys that, yeah, it may hurt your four-year guys or five-year guys. Same thing with football on being – you still aren't going to be, say, that top five pick or top eight pick. Like, you might be criticized for taking a 23-year-old because he maybe doesn't have that top end. But you're seeing so many more of these success rates with guys like, say, your J. 
Jalen Brunsons, who won multiple championships at Villanova, but isn't your prototypical size weight, but he has that sample size that certain scouting rooms was able to identify as a guy that could be really good and really successful. I know Jaime Hawkins Jr. is that guy that Miami with the Heat have talked about this year that just sort of plugs in and is immediately ready. There's a list of them all over the NBA, but it's also happening in the NFL, and it's because you're able to have those guys that develop those skill sets, and you're able, like you said, Rod, the scouting departments can see more about this guy in, like, say, high leverage scenarios and have a sample size on these things that when you're one and done, yeah, those meteoric talents, those guys are going to be identifiable because they don't throw a ball the way anybody else does or that they jump higher and they're faster. They're just freaks. But for the non-freaks, for the ones that are going to fill out your roster or be the one that used to be called a diamond in the rough. Now they're going to be your Desmond Baines that you get at the end of the first round out of TCU that become like a near all-NBA type player or your Brunsons. And there's guys like this all over the place. And it sort of goes back to our conversation with the NIL and the depth of the talent of staying with these multi-year guys. And it's just funny to think like you hear all this criticism that almost is hypocritical because it's like, man, all these guys are leaving school early. I wish people cared about staying in college. It's like right now, because of NIL, they're actually staying in college longer than anybody ever. It's exactly what you wanted, but you're just complaining that they're getting paid for it. But it's like literally doing what everybody wanted the college environment to be and it's actually developing them so they maybe could be better at that next level. So you get the best of both worlds with it. Yeah, yeah some people gonna complain regardless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it sort of taught me that. Yes. Yeah, I, I do think though. Uh, you know, getting back to Sark and not not so much on on you know his staff hires, but you know, until we see something and look, I'm kind of like, hey, like you know, between the NCAA and the powers that be, the whoever the future commissioner of college football is. When y'all decide what y'all want to do and let the the power programs in college football, the 64 or whatever you decide it is, be autonomous from the NCAA, y'all let me know when y'all get that figured out. Until then, I'll be over here in my sandbox playing over here by myself. So y'all just y'all figure it out and let me know when you got a plan. I don't really worry about that stuff or, or try to think too hard about any of that stuff. But one thing I do worry about is, you know, until that changes – do you run the risk of uh, my guy, Josh Pate at 24 seven sports recently talked about this. And it's something I'm cognizant of. Cause you hear about this from coaches, the way things are structured right now, are you going to run some really good coaches out of the business? Are guys going to go take an NFL job or, or whatever the case or just decide, Hey, I just want to do something all together. I've made my money and now it's time to go have family time and get a nine to five, whatever, whatever the case is. Um, but I think Rod Texas is lucky from that point. Cause you've got a guy in Steve Sarkeesian, Sarkis said it himself. I don't know that Sark has any. I mean, his kids are grown. You know, he's got his son on the team right now. I don't think Sark has any hobbies outside of football. I think this is just this is kind of his life. And that's really like that's the kind of coach you need right now with the way college football is constructed. The programs that I think are gonna survive are the ones that have the coach who eats it, breathes it, sleeps it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's that's a great point, bro. Because I, I I think I remarked about this on the uh, the blitz earlier. Maybe it was on another show, and I apologize if I didn't. I think I referenced that Eli Drinkwitz um, interview. He was on like seven ninety in Houston. Yeah, 
And he, yeah, and he, it was, it, look, they were interviewing him when Nick Saban News uh, dropped that he was retiring. And he, he basically kind of went on a rant. It was like, it was like a long rant too. You mm-hmm. probably go look. But one of the things he mentioned was kind of basically the calendar of like how basically the way things are set up now, there is no off season. There is no downtime for a coach or a program. Now with the transfer portal windows and the second signing day and everything set up, there is no off season, no downtime. And he was talking about how that may chase some coaches out of the game or maybe chase them to the NFL because the NFL does have a, it, it does have an off season for a coach. Yeah, You do have about a month potentially because you got scouts that are scouting. They're literally out scouting the players during the season and they go scout obviously and they do all their film research in the off season. So you don't have to necessarily do that. You got a GM that's in charge of personnel. If you're a coach, if you're an assistant coach, you ain't got to recruit. Recruiters a full-time damn job, guys. Mm-hmm. You know that. That's a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And then an assistant coach is also a full-time job. And I'm sure you are a dad or, you know, a husband that is a, as we know, full-time jobs. <laughs> that's a lot of jobs, man, to have. And NFL, you don't have the recruiting aspect. So you actually do get time. You get a little bit of time. You can spend extra time with the players, watching film and all with coaches. But there is actually time that you can get. Now, some coaches, as you just pointed out, they don't want the time. Like, sorry, yeah. man, I don't want no downtime. I sleep it. I breathe it. I live it. That's my man channel. I guess family business is in his DNA. He don't need the time. He, he actually, when he does the downtime, he gets too damn anxious during downtime. Yeah. That, that, that's the kinds of guys you're talking about, the guys that you want. But I will say at the NFL level, at least you do get there is a downside. There is a downtime in an off season. College football, it doesn't seem like there is one anymore for the coaches. No. Yeah. And that's why Saban, I mean, Saban literally said it's why he's retiring. He's like, yeah, if I was in my 40s, I could go to bed at 2.30 and wake up at 6 and do it every day and be fine. So like, I can't do it anymore. I'm 72. Like, he literally referenced that. And then yep. I immediately saw him video of him boogie boarding in the ocean and his wife taking a video of him. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, that. that's what he wants to do. You know, and who knows? Maybe Belichick and him are going to be boogie boarding together for a season or something. He, he should be the commissioner of college football. He should be the commissioner of college football. Agreed. It should, and I know they can't do it officially. They should make it a ceremonial thing. It's symbolic. It's symbolic because this is where we want to go in the future. We really right now don't, we're not even unified enough. We don't have a body, you know what I mean? A, essentially an entity that we're all under at this time. But the future is that we do want to have a commissioner and Nick Saban will be our George Washington, damn it. He will be the first that let him out there and then he can address some of these same issues. If they don't necessarily unify a body, at least he can keep voicing <laughs> the opinions. He can go visit Capitol Hill about NIL, yeah. you know what I mean? Stuff yeah. like that, do you need you need an ambassador for? He can be the ambassador. And and they'll, they'll give him like, I don't know, 10, 10, 12 things to do a year. He can still go body, you know, bodyboard or whatever the hell he's doing, whatever it is. <laughs> but I mean, I think Nick Saban would relish in that role. I think he'd be great at it. Yeah. He's got so much passion, so much knowledge. And I, I don't think he just wants to go away. I don't think they say he wants to go away. No, what, what goat wants to just go away? <laughs> they never do. Michael Jordan. Does he, did he just go away? No, Tom Brady ain't just go away. Goats don't want to just go away. They're the goat for a reason. Yeah. They wanted this pressure. Yep. They wanted to be on top of the mountain. And I think, you know, we should reward them and say, you know what? We give you a duty on top of that. Go, go do what's right for college football. Why don't you go champion what's right for college football? Because nobody knows better than you. Yeah, he yeah. should just call his own press conference and say college football is seceding from the NCAA. Right? 
I mean, he could do that. People would, everybody would stop and listen to Nick Saban. Even politicians. Yeah, Greg Sankey, all the commissioners. Yeah, they'd listen to him. So I'm saying, man, I'd do it. Yeah, I, you know, I think about the the lifespan, the shelf life of a coach fascinates me because I think you get the the thing that I admire about Nick Saban maybe more than anything I've talked about we talked a couple podcasts ago just about his good qualities but and 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 tied it back to Sark but the thing maybe I, I admire most about him is he he gave it everything he had every day but he kind of knew how to pace himself you know, like just because it never Nick Saban at the beginning of a season, at the end of the season, he didn't look like, oh, man, I just coached a 15 game season. Like he looks the same in August that he does in January. Right. Like he just kind yeah, of the end of Mac Brown at Texas looked like he was done. Saban yeah. never looked like the way Mac looked at the end of Texas. But, you know, and, and like it, it's just different, like the difference between like, let's say Jimmy Johnson and Urban Meyer are the two guys that I'm thinking about. Oh, we can agree. Two guys that can't be in one place for too long. Two guys that burn the candle at both ends. But Jimmy Johnson knew kind of at each stop when it was time to move on. Urban Meyer didn't. And that's why Urban Meyer ran himself into the ground at Florida and at mm-hmm. Ohio State at the end. And why yep. Jacksonville was a disaster. You know, because he didn't know when to quit. And Jimmy Johnson kind of did. So I don't know, man. It's 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 weird how guys how coaches function, but I, I just keep going back to to Sark. You know, there was uh I think it was 2022. They'd had a game earlier in the day. I think it maybe might have been that Iowa State game. That was an eleven o'clock home game. And he was talking about him and Miss L'Oreal went out to dinner that night and he said, Yeah, I was watching uh Washington and maybe Stanford. He's like, I was watching it on my phone. He's like don't tell Miss L'Oreal I was watching the phone under the table. We're like, dude, you're on LHN right now. Like, this is going out all over the place. So she's gonna know. But I'm like, yeah. that's the kind of stuff that like that's that's the kind of zone Sark is in right now. Like it's it's all football all the time. And I'm sure there will come a time in his life when he realizes, you know what, I've got grandkids or whatever, and I'm not getting younger, and it's time to it's time to put it down. That's that's all Rod, you've been around enough coaches, like there are coaches who sense when it's time and we've all seen coaches that they, they don't know when, when it's time and they yep. will run themselves. I, you know what? I, I think Mac at the end of the day, Brown Mac was one yeah, of those Mac, coaches Mac that didn't know it was guys. time. You're right. Yeah. Mac's one of those guys. You're right. I was just, Lily Jeff, as you were saying it, I was thinking, I was like, honestly, I don't think Mac knows when it's time. Yeah. I don't think Mac knows. And it, cause it's time for me. No, yeah. it's time. Right. And Max and Mac, I think Max a parade or pine box guy. He's like, Hey man, I want, I want I want the championship or hey, I'm done. You know what I mean? And they don't really see anything in between. And there are some coaches, like you said, like Bob Stoops. Yeah. I was just like, I'm good. Want mm-hmm. me a title? I'm already one of the greatest coaches in the history of college football. I'm out. I'm good. Yeah. And we all thought Bob Stoops will be back, right? We all thought well, that dude's coming back. And he's been like a ceremonial symbolic figure in like the XFL or whatever. That dude ain't coaching the XFL teams. He he's just collecting yeah. a check. He's collecting yeah. a check and hanging out on the sideline. Bob Stoops ain't doing a real coach. That's why he took the job. Because he yeah. was like, no, yeah, that's why Wade Phillips is there too in June Jones. Exactly. Those guys, they know like, oh, I ain't got to know a real coach. Now I'll collect this check. <laughs> but I can I, the game I love, the game that basically is part of my DNA. You're right. I can still be around it. And I know that because I have the same relationship with the game, right? At, at one point, you have a this, this passionate love affair 
violent love affair with the game of football. And all throughout your life, you are it's basically if you if you do it, if it is your first love, like it is for Tom Brady. I can relate to Tom Brady because it was my yeah. first love, right? The, any woman in my life, they will have to at some point accept, like, hey, just so you know, I do love you more, but football's the first love. Like I so it always have a place in my heart and like every, yeah. you know what I mean, in my in my mind, in my conscience, it's part of the fabric of who I am. Tom Brady basically told that to Giselle, like, hey babe, I love you, but you know football is it that's my first love. I know you're a supermodel. I know you make more money than me. I, football, though, it's my it's my love. Yeah. And I'm going I'm gonna announce it after the game. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna be the owner of the of a team because I love this game. I gotta be around. If I'm not around it, I will rot and decay. I will rot away. Yeah. <laughs> spiritually because yeah. it's part of and, and by the way some people that's 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 church for them some people it's you know it could be their job like everybody's got that thing for them like you want to be a close sitting around and football is that for me and it's like for that for a lot of people um but as you you're no longer a player you you have this this relationship changes right you you are you no longer have a passionate love affair you become almost a distant observer and you have to observe it from afar. Others who have the real love affair at the game, and that's the players and the coaches. And some coaches they'll never give that up. They're like, "No, nah, man, I, I, th this is what drives me. And if I do stop doing this, like I said, I'll rot away." And some coaches they understand that they that they've accomplished enough, and they just need a a tangential kind of you know relationship with the game, just connected in some way. Don't need to have the passionate love affair with it yeah. to be a player or a coach. But as long as I'm connected, like I'm like that now. Like, as long as I'm connected, I'm okay. Be like, Robbie, you should coach. It's like, yeah, y'all don't understand what a commitment coach is. If I end up coaching, I will be divorced. I will be. I know myself. Yeah. Like I know how committed I am <laughs> yeah. to the game. I know how much I love football. I will forget all about that woman in there who has changed my life and been a savior for me. I will forget all about that that, that kid potentially. You know what I mean? Like I I become obsessive about that game and I'm, I'm different than everybody else some people they can actually compartmentalize and they can you know give uh you know much needed uh attention to all the different aspects of life football for me i have a toxic relationship with the game i i will focus on that and only that yeah, <laughs> everything I'm... about everything else in my life will fade and i will be fine with it fading like so i understand that so i so and i think some of the coaches understand that too like no no no, no i can't be that trust me when i when i go football i'm all in there is no balance to my life. It is football. And everything else fades into the background. And that's unhealthy. We know that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but that's, you know, relationships can be unhealthy. They can be toxic. Yeah. I, mean, they don't fall in love with the person. And I think that's what happens with some coaches understand that. Some don't. Some have a different relationship with the game. So, so that's just, you know, I think everybody, every, everybody's relationship with the game is a little bit different and unique. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's think, what Mr. Uh, Miyagi tried to teach us when I was a little kid watching Karate Kid. That was uh, his main lesson. You know, uh, Bill Belichick, Rod, is probably one of those the, the Parade or Pine Box guy. It, because Bill Belichick went through two interviews with the Atlanta Falcons. Why should Bill Belichick need to interview with anybody? Like, you're Bill, you're Bill Belichick, go, go live off Cape Cod and fish or golf or whatever. But he can't, he can't do that. That's not the way... He's just nope. not wired that way. And, you know, that's that's one reason why, not only because he led my my beloved Dallas football Cowboys to two Super Bowls, but that's why I admire Jimmy Johnson because he's he's he was one of those guys, right? He's like, I know if I'm in football, I'm going to be a terrible dad. I'm going to be a terrible yep. husband. I'm going to be yep. horrible to be around. I just have to completely disconnect from that part of life. And now he covers it, though. He covers yeah. it. So yeah. he's gotta, like, Which he gives him like, like he, you cover it. Yeah. He's, he's connected. He's connected to it, yeah. but he can't. He can't do more than that. Like he, yeah. 
you know, when he's all in, he's all in. I mean, I'll be honest, guys. I'm I'm that way with work. That's why, you know, I've yeah, had people exactly. I've had people ask me, you know, why don't you cover recruiting anymore? You know, could I be where, you know, like in our company, like where a Steve Wiltfong or somewhere like that is? Yeah, because Steve and I were on the same track at one point. But, you know, I'll be honest, Bobby Burton and I had that conversation probably about 2013 or 14. Like, hmm. I can go one way or the other and, and I can go this way and, and life can be good, but I'm probably going to be doing it by myself. I'm not exactly. married anymore. So what do I value? Hey, you're more? preaching to, what you're preaching to the choir, man. Like that Rod, y'all knew me when I was in radio trying to get my foot in the door and I lived at a radio station. Then yep. when that ended, it like steered me to well, it steered me straight to the podcast, which steered me straight to Daily Fantasy. And like that's what I do for a living. But yeah, work like that. You gotta survive somehow and to be good at what you do, you gotta work real hard at it. Yeah, I just and not to say that I you know I I'm you know, I care about it less or anything like that. That's not the case, but recruiting is one of those things, man. When I'm oh yeah, I, I, live I, it. I, yeah, I stay I stay connected to it, but to do it on a day-to-day basis that you it has to it consumes you man that mm-hmm. to do it the right way it has to consume you exactly why, oh yeah because you're on the road man yeah you got there's no other way to recover recruiting unless you do it on the road yeah and <laughs> trust me i know a lot of guys in this industry that were married or on their second marriage or man. whatever yeah. um and i just i don't regret the decision at all because i love my wife i love my daughter but it was like hey you can have you can get this far or you can kind of go down this path with me, which ain't bad, but you can, you can have family and do this. Well, I'll have family and do this. Yep. It's a quality of life thing. Like I said, I, I've had numerous opportunities to go into coaching, but I know myself too well. As I said, like I, I, I'll be end up divorced and I'll end up alone, but I'll be, I'll be happy though. I, I'll be happy because I'll be in coaching, but I, my, my life won't have the balance yeah, and that, I, that I think I need. I think that it's healthy for me. So my relationship with the game has got to be one of yeah, from different degrees of separation from it than as a player and coach. Because like I said, I know myself, and I, and that will lead me down toxicity because I won't have balance. So I'll I won't be sleeping, and I'll be on the road, and I know myself. Trust me, it lead down a dark path. Yeah, you <laughs> and, know, and I think that's that's part of knowing yourself as a person. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, at all. It's just, you know, everybody's a little bit different. And if if coaching or whatever your profession is, if that was drives you, then that's great. Um, but if you know yourself like I do, and you know that you will drive yourself right off a cliff yeah. <laughs> um, because you won't even see, you won't even see the cliff. You'll just be going and you won't even see it and you'll go right off it. That's kind of what your boy tries to avoid. And I've, I've been there before with the game of football because it's, and I think it's probably anything in your life. You probably shouldn't be overly obsessed with it other than your family. Yeah. All right? That's your, your family yep. and your really close friends you consider family. So I, had to, I learned that the hard way in life. And I think, you know, with coaching, I wouldn't be a great coach if I wasn't uh, someone who's balanced. And the best coaches I've met, they do have that balance. They found the way to strike it. Yeah. Coach Tina, the best coaches I've known, they found the way to strike that balance, man. Because if you don't have it, you will end up driving yourself clean off a cliff. Or, like you said, you end up kind of burning out too quickly, and you go, man, I, I, I can't, I don't have love for it anymore. I got, I'm burned out. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if it's like this for you, Rod. I, I'm, I'm sorry to the listening audience for getting a little personal on this show, but like. Whenever I, even now when I do recruiting research or I'm just writing about recruiting in my mind, I, it, the endorphins get going to the point where 
I'm that, you know, 11, 12 year old kid again that can't wait to get yep. Parade Magazine to look at the All American team and that needs the, you know, whenever the Statesman comes out with the Fab 55 or when Texas Football Magazine comes out in the summer, I just, I consumed it so much and was like obsessed with it as a kid. When I do it now at 40, I go back to I'm, I'm 12, 13 <laughs> all over again. Like, yeah, it's, dude, it's, I'm writing. I I'm writing down re- fantasy stats right now. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm doing right now. I have that relationship with recruiting where it's like I yeah. can do I can do this for a little bit and then I, I gotta shelve it. I gotta shelve it and do something else. Well, it's part of who you are, right? It, it it's like ingrained in your DNA now. Like it's part of the fabric of your character. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it, that like I said, that just shows how self-aware you are that you like not accept what and as like I said, it's all about balancing your quality of life. Like like Matt figured out like fantasy is perfect for me because I remember when Matt was sleeping at the station. Because I was I was I was doing the same thing. I remember when me and Matt was kind of grinding the same way. And Matt was my favorite producer because of that. I was like, nah, Matt grind. I was sending Matt stuff like random times of the day and night, which is not healthy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> About the show and stuff. And Matt would be sending it right back to me. Um, and that and and you know, we kind of uh, were on the same path. And now Matt has a quality of life and a balance to his life. Well, yeah, fantasy works for him. He's obsessive about it, but he can do that while at the house with a balance of life and social circles with family and that kind of stuff. So I've seen Matt change too. Um, and I've seen, I've seen you, Jeff, also become a more balanced human being. And I think that's, that's you know, I, obviously we're revealing way too much on here, but I think for Sark, listen, that was a part of, you know, when, when for Sark, he had to transform, right? Yeah. And then, you know, he got remarried and had to find whatever the strike, whatever the balance will do. He obviously, you know, he he's credits sorry, he credits uh, excuse me, Zeke Saban for saving his life because he was he wasn't worried about his health a lot. Yeah, he wasn't going to the doctor a lot because he had one damn medical checkup and they found a ticking time bomb. Yeah, right? and that's most men because we're not thinking about our health. But when you have kids and a family, you should be going to the doctor. You should go to the dentist and stuff like that. Nick Saban struck, figured out that balance, right? He he's like, now nah, all my coaches are gonna take this health exam because it's important because mm-hmm. there are things that are more important than football. So it's a deep conversation that we're in. But you know, getting back to priorities in life and what matters, and what matters is you know your family. What matters is how you treat people. You know, what matters is that you can be the best when you look in the mirror. That the person you're that's looking back at you, that you're proud of that person, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. you're happy uh, with that person, and that's what really matters. And if football is a part of that, then great. But if football takes away from that, then you know you might need to think about the person, that man in the mirror moment when you look that person in the mirror, and you know well, what needs to change. Every, yeah. well, if I, we've all been there at, at, about football, about life, about anything. We've all been there, and I think that's that's the challenge you're talking about. Yeah, too I, deep, uh, way too deep here. Sorry. No, <laughs> no, but just my my no, last thought job. on that, Rod. You you said about Nick Saban, kind of that's that's exactly what he did, and I think that's kind of where Sark is now. You know, I I feel like as a as a people as a society, I feel like we were robbed with Kobe Bryant passing when he did because you know nobody poured as much into into anything people don't pour as much into anything like Kobe Bryant poured into basketball and yep. when he was he was when he was ready to walk away from it on his own terms when he decided this is it the the passion and energy that he would have poured into being a father a grandfather a writer uh, a a director um i feel like we got robbed of something that could have been really special and could have been an example of how you just as a human, no different than an athlete, how as you get older, man, you you can still be successful. You just got to change your game. You can't play the game at 
40 the same way you played it at 20 and you can't play it at 60 the same way you played it at 40. You got to keep evolving. And that's more than the basketball thing. That's really where I, I miss Kobe Bryant. I don't know if you guys have ever thought about that, but that's really where I, I feel thought like about that. Robbed. Him and Tupac are him and Tupac are almost the same thing that you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah. Yep, I think about that all the time. It's crazy. He brought up Tupac. He brought up Kobe. I was gonna bring up Kobe earlier, and the example for Kobe for me was I remember Kobe saying, um, "Listen, I can't be a a the greatest basketball player on the planet, and the best uh, friend on the planet, and the best father, and the best husband." He said, "There's not enough time in the day." Yeah. That's the reality of it. I can't. He said, that's why he got the helicopter, guys. No joke. That's why, really, that's mm-hmm. why he got the helicopter. Yeah. I, I'm not Eliminate traffic. Be, yeah, exactly. I'm not trying to be, you know, obviously, you know, really sad right. in here, but depressing. But that's why he got it. Because, yeah, he didn't want to deal with traffic. Traffic was keeping him from his ultimate goal, which was, I want to be the best father. I want to be the best husband. And I want to be the best basketball player on the planet. What's keeping me from those three things? And he said, a time. The time, 24 hours of a damn day is what's keeping me from doing it. Yeah. I need, I need no more time today so I can give my wife eight hours. I can give my kids 10, 12 hours, and I can devote half the damn day to two a days and working out. But he said time was not his friend. Time is, is obviously all of our enemies, right? Father time. So, and that's ultimately what he said. And he's right about that. And that's why I I can't, you know, I, I don't want I don't think I can go into coaching because there's yeah. not time of the day for me to be a good father and to be a good husband and to be a, for me, for me, my journey, my journey, everybody else is different for yeah. me to be a, the best coach that I want to be for me to be the best coach. I want to be, I'm giving it everything I got. And I might, they may take 15 hours. And then I only got two hours for wifey and I only got two hours for my kid. Cause I got to sleep and I got to eat you know what I mean? and I got to yeah. go to the bathroom. Right. And you become obsessive and you realize like, damn, there's not enough time in the day. And that's what Kobe realized. At one point, he's like, he's like, I want to be great at all these things. It's not enough time for me to be great. So you have to choose. You yeah. have to make a choice because there's not enough time in the day for you to be elite, the GOAT and all of those things. And Kobe did. He's like, I'm going to choose here. And I think that if Kobe could talk to today, he'd be like, damn it. He, he, he was the best basketball player he could be until he walked away like he wanted to. And then he was going to devote himself to being the best father he could be yeah. and the best family man he could be. And time ran yeah. out on him. And that's the lesson that time is going to run out on, us, on all of us. And we have no idea when it's going to happen. And you don't have enough time in the day to be great at all the things that you want or need to be great at. So you choose and you should choose accordingly. You know, or Rod, can I uh, just to tie it together with, with you? Cause I, I honestly, this is, re- this is prevalent. It's relevant. Cause I get asked all the time, Jeff, why, why didn't Rod want to be an analyst? Why didn't, you know, why doesn't Rod do this? And, you know, Rod, I picture you being like that scene in Moneyball where uh, Brad Pitt as Billy Bean is talking to uh, to Jonah Hill's character, uh, to Peter Brandt, and he said, he said, you have those scouting reports for me? He said, yeah, here they are. He's like, I asked you to do five. He goes, yeah. How many did you do? He's like, 54. Like, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay. Oh, 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 that's good. And then it, it really tied together, you know, because I actually, Rod, I said this earlier today. I was doing a show earlier today, and I said, you know, Rod, Rod will see the game from a perspective that I'll never understand because I never played it at that level. I didn't, you know, it, it's just Rod just has a different frame of reference than I do. And I thought about guys that played it, that do it at that high level. I heard Shannon Sharp. Uh, it was like a Facebook reel. I'm like trying to find videos of like beavers carrying carrots like through the forest <laughs> or something. And I end up on I end up on Shannon Sharp. It was his podcast with uh, I think it was his podcast with Ocho Cinco. 
And oh yeah, that's good. Actually, do good. Yeah. yeah. Shannon Sharp was talking about his failed relationship. He's got so many failed relationships. He said he's like, whenever I dated a woman, he's like, when I played, he said I told her, look, I love you, but you got to understand, football comes before everything. And yep. if you can, if you can deal with that, if you can deal with that, then okay. He said, but I'm telling you, if you make me choose, I'm choosing football every time. And. That's how you grind and get to the Hall of Fame. You're and Shannon Shannon Sharp's admitting he's like, no, I was a terrible partner. I was a terrible father. I was a terrible husband. But that's what he felt like he had to do to put food to let his kids live the life they lived and you know get to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and Kobe admits it. He said, "I'm a terrible friend." He said, "I he said I've I, he said I've not valued friendship in my life because I don't have time because I want to be a great father, a great husband, and the best basketball player on the planet." And he said, "When I started breaking down how much time I have, I didn't have time to go to the club with you and hang out." He said, "Now if you," he said, "he said I'm a great teammate, but not a great yeah, friend. him and Shaq." Yeah, he yeah. said, "I'm a great teammate. If you want to come work out with me, and you want to come, you want to come practice with me, and you want to come watch film with me." All everybody's invited. Please come. I'm a great yeah. teammate. But he said, in terms of me going to the club with you, and you want to go to dinner and go hang out and go have drinks, I'm a terrible friend. Yeah, because I don't have the time. I got to go work out. I got my wife, my, my kids, and man, that that hit that hit home for me. That's why I feel you on Kobe, man. Kobe was he, he was ahead of his time, and I'm, I'm with you. And, and the Tupac thing too, like they always talk about Tupac being obsessive in the studio. That's why he has so much, he has so much workout, right? He's still coming out. Yeah. There's still new Tupac songs that haven't been released <laughs> and his discography and his, right. And his, uh, his albums and his work is so expansive because they said he stayed in the studio for little for like 12 hours at a time at times. Like he was obsessive about it. Yeah. And, and there, there's video, there's video yeah. and audio of him going off on, 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 on his fellow peers talking, telling them, saying, I don't have enough time here, guys. He literally says it. I remember the interview. He says, I don't have time. And people thought yeah. it was eerie. He's talking about his life. We don't know what he, he's like, but I don't have the time to sit in here and sit with you guys with all the women and kick it and hear and talk and reminisce. He said, I need to be writing and we need to be recording. Writing and recording. That's it. That's writing. Yeah. That's recording. That's what we're here to do. And he was obsessive about it. And that's why his legacy is right now long lasting, right? I said, so, and that Kobe's the same way. So, oh, I yeah. do think, as a, I always say, men have the greatest fear of a man. The greatest fear of a man is to die without a legacy, yeah. right? Would die exactly. and nobody ever knew you was on this planet. That means no kids, you know, no wife to talk about you. You never did anything of any significance. Your name ain't on no buildings, on anything. You die, and that was just. Phew, just, you know, lost, just, you know what I mean? Yeah. In the wind. And uh, for a woman, they said the greatest fear for a woman is to die alone. A woman knows, like, I don't want to die alone. A lot of yeah. men are fine with dying alone. They're like, I don't die alone. I'm cool with that. All right. <laughs> as long as I got my game, I'm cool. I'm, you know, I'm fine with that. Um, but I, I think for men uh, to understand that that's, that's the way we both think, right? Men are from Mars, women are from Venus kind of thing. Yeah. Men, that's why for men, men can obsess about something as long as they leave a legacy. They're fine with the sacrifices of it. They're yeah. fine with being a bad father or being a bad partner or a husband. But look at my legacy, right? My legacy is intact. Um, yeah. And for women, women will sacrifice a legacy as long as they have a relate like that real, authentic, genuine relationship. And that's why women. It's all about having kids and it's all about having a family. Because they ain't trying to die alone. Right. Men, I'm fine with dying alone. And I think for men, that's why you have to be able to make that that decision about sacrificing your legacy 
whatever you're building, all right, um, for the relationship so you don't die alone. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. You yeah, see the other side of it. You know yeah, I, mean? I, I know we got to wrap this up, but I, I just to, to tie this back to Sart to end it. I, I do wonder, though, you know, w- w- and honestly, guys, none of us know the answer. Steve Sarkeesian knows the answer, and I'm sure Miss L'Oreal and Sark's kids know the answer to this. But everything Sark has been through, and I'm not just talking about the, the substance abuse stuff at, at Washington and SC. But Rod, you mentioned it, the, the heart procedure. When you go through stuff like that and you get an opportunity like to, to be the head coach at a place like Texas again, when I'm sure Sark at his lowest moment after he got fired from SC, I, he probably would have just been thankful if he was a high school coach at some point. But I wonder to go through everything he's been through. If there's such thing for him as a healthy obsession, which is like, you know what? Like you gain such perspective that like, he's got a chance to do something really special at Texas. Honestly, that only two other guys of all the guys that have tried to do it at Texas, only Mac Brown and Daryl Royal have done it. They're the only guys that have won national championships here. Yeah. And to leave that kind of legacy, like I said, I wonder if the, the perspective he's gained through what he's been through, I wonder if it's a healthy obsession, which, no, I've got a chance to do something special. If I don't give all of myself to this, I'm cheating myself. I'm cheating myself yes. out of this opportunity that I thought there's no way in hell I would ever have. Yeah, he was a prodigy, right? Sark was a prodigy. Yeah. That it was obviously you know got off course uh, derailed at one point like we all do battling demons and i think now he is getting more and more uh re uh, reaffirmation uh confirmation that indeed he was a special coach at one point and yeah. if not being derailed he probably would be at this point considered an elite coach who knows where he'd be maybe in the nfl championship national championship coach and after seeing that now he wants, after seeing the evidence of it, I think now he is more driven than ever to accomplish Great his goals point. because just like the players on the team now, he, he believes that it wasn't just him um, at one point uh, having, you know, having the traits of an elite coach, but then you know, losing it all. No, he's still an elite coach. It's in him. He's just got to make sure he's the best version of himself, whatever that may be. So I'm yeah. with you. I think he is more driven than ever. I do think Stark understands the balance and relationships and a lot of the other stuff. But right now, he understands he's got a window to maximize yeah. it in Texas. Especially with Saban being out of the SEC now, man, you might have a chance to really change your the legacy and narrative forever. It's, uh, yep. you know, I think we forget Sark was, I think, 33 when he got the Washington job, 33 or 34. Oh, yeah. And a a couple years before that, he he turned down the Oakland Raiders job. Mm -hmm. Rod, you know how special those those gigs are, Rod. There's there's only 32 of them. Yeah. And to be in a position where you tell Al Davis, no, I'm good, like, yeah, he – we, I think we forget like how highly thought of in the industry period Sark was before all that other stuff happened. Exactly. 
before yeah. he was derailed. Yeah, no doubt. And merging the sort of last two conversations we had, the other name that I didn't bring up at the time when we were talking about Kobe and uh, Tupac was Tiger Woods. But if you look at the way Tiger Woods is prodigy in his life and career and then later in life having to battle things and then was able to come back and become like, you know, the oldest dude to win a Masters and come back and pull all this up and pretty crazy to where like that redemption. When you're one of them prodigies, man, it sticks with you and you can find it later on in life. As long as your legacy doesn't end up like with some Vince McMahon stuff at the end, allegedly, <laughs> then I think we can all I think we can all feel good about what we did in life. Oh shit! Yeah. You read that lawsuit, Rod? You seen any of these? Uh, I I don't, I don't think I've read like the actual lawsuit, but I've uh, heard some things on Twitter. Is it that ugly? very foul? I'll, despicable uh, human, just a despicable human. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I you know what, Rod? I would I would say, Rod, that. Uh, you need to read it so you feel as bad as I do having read it, just that humanity is at that level. But you know what? As your friend, I'm going to say, you know what? Don't read it, Rod. Don't just 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 pretend ignorance is bliss in this case, Rod. Are we talking about is this is this things that are illegal or things that are just considered to be uh, unacceptable in society by society standards? I mean, it's, un, it's yeah, illegal yeah. and then absurdly disgusting. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's. Uh... I I would venture to guess st some stuff that you wouldn't even imagine that somebody would enjoy, but uh, who knows? It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, one piece of business real quick. I'll, I just have to mention this. Rod, you have something else? Or... No, no, no. I'm, I'm done. Okay. I'm just now I'm looking up Vince McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I gotta go. One thing I do want to mention, though, is uh, we will still – it doesn't change anything. I don't want to get inside baseball with the podcast, but there's a chance we might be moving the published date of the podcast to Thursday. I will keep everybody updated on that from now on. If you're obviously, if you're listening, you know, yeah, dummy, if you're listening to this on Wednesday morning, obviously we published on Wednesday morning, but we might be moving to Thursday. If we do, I'll give everybody a heads up. That way you're not looking for it for Wednesday, wondering where the hell the blitz is. You'll get it one way or the other. We're just, there's a, at the Horns 24 seven staff, we're kind of working out some things with, you know, who's got their podcast going, when and whatnot. So. Just be advised. Maybe nothing changes. Maybe something does. But I will let you know if you suddenly find out the blitz isn't there on the normal day when you get it. All right. We're long overdue. We got to go. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
for Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 24-7 Sports, the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network at Horns 24-7, the Horns 24-7 Podcast Feed, where you can get this show each and every week. Just search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast. Click that follow button when you see the feed, and please don't forget to leave us a five-star review. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode.